we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. Luke 12, 22 to 34. Um, if you have a device, I encourage you to take it out. If you've got a Bible application, if you've got an actual hard print Bible, open it up. Luke chapter 12, verses 22. And uh, if you don't have either of those, I encourage you to, to reach forward at the pew and grab out that black Holy Bible and turn to page 737 is where you'll find a text, uh, page 737, so that you can see uh, for yourselves the Word of God, and it'll probably be behind me as well. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34, and, and we're right now getting into the middle of a sermon series uh, called Treasures of the Heart. Uh, we're getting ready to begin a new stewardship campaign, and uh, Pastor Phil talked about that a little bit, and if you want to know more about the campaign, I'm not here really to talk too much about the details of that. You can find that in some mailings that we have. We have information out in the lobby, and I invite you to uh, learn more about the campaign that's coming up. It's going to help uh, undergird and provide a, an infrastructure for ministry here for the next three years to come. And so we're very excited about that because we know that you are a giving people. Uh, but what I'm here today to do is to hopefully share with you from the Word of God, Jesus' perspective about that very thing, the treasures of the heart. And uh, if you're like me, you're very aware that what you eat will have a great impact on your life. <laughs> My wife and I have been really considering what are some new changes and some new habits that we can make to have a healthier lifestyle because you've probably heard the phrase, you are what, oh, you know it, you are what you eat. And uh, I found that to be true. I mean, you've probably found that to be true. If your diet is full of junk food and fast food and sweets and sodas all the time, you don't feel so great. You feel lethargic. You feel tired. You don't feel like you have the energy that you need. And it comes out even in just possibly being irritable possibly being uh, just lethargic and tired. And, and so uh, I think that rings true, that in a sense, we are what we eat. And I think that's a good way to think about, uh, you know, how we steward the bodies that God has given to us. We belong to Him. He created us. How are we stewarding the vessels that, that God has given to us? But also, I would like for us to consider, not just we are what we eat, but I would say from our text today, Jesus is saying something similar. Not we are what we eat, but we are what we seek. We are what we seek. And I would say to you today, you are what you seek. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. Follow along as I read aloud. It says... Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will He clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or, what, or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. <laughs> do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You are what you seek. Jesus is addressing the idea of how we think about and how we uh, uh, manage our possessions. And Jesus is really just continue on, continuing on in this sermon. He said, therefore I tell you, and the reason he's continuing this on is because he just shared a story about a man, a man who thought to himself, I've got so much I've got so many possessions. I've got so much that will feed me and clothe me and provide for me. I don't want to lose it. I don't want to, uh, uh, I, I don't want to waste it. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build bigger storehouses. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to put all my stuff in there and then I'm going to take it easy and I'm going to relax because I have all that I need. And Jesus says, you fool. You fool, you thought that you could find comfort. You thought that you could find rest and peace in accumulating all that you could and sitting back and relaxing. But this day, tonight, your soul is required of you. And then who's going to be left to enjoy all that you've left behind? And then Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, stop worrying about your life. Stop being anxious about your life. And, and the word life there also can mean soul. Stop worrying about your life and your soul and your well-being. And he says this, do not worry about it, what you will eat or your body, what you will wear. And so the first thing as Jesus is showing, as he's showing us from this text is that you are what you seek. So stop worrying about possessions because your life is too valuable to be worrying about your possessions. It's too valuable. Verse 23 says, Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Now, Jesus isn't saying, don't worry about food, don't worry about clothing. But, you know, everything else like shelter and, you know, what's going to happen to you after you stop working. and don't, You can worry about those things. No, Jesus is giving us an example that says food and clothing really encapsulates and summarizes all that we need to live. Stop living life as if everything is wrapped up in making ends meet and getting what you need to eat and getting what you need to wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. So stop worrying about your possessions 
Your life is too valuable. And then Jesus goes into a little bit of uh, some rhetorical uh, uh, a conversation here. It's almost like King Solomon's talking, and he even mentions Solomon here in a few minutes. But he says, consider the ravens. Think about the ravens, thinking about the birds. And you know this time of year, you know, it's getting really light outside very early in the morning. And especially on a Saturday morning, you're kind of thinking, man, I'd love to sleep in. But those birds, they just start chirping. Hey, don't you know it's Saturday? Sleep in and get your food later. But, but they no, they want to get up. Why? Because they're hungry and they know there's food out there that I'm going to go find. Consider the ravens. Consider them. They, they, didn't, they didn't sleep in because they know God's got food ready for me. Now, I'm not saying that the birds know and are fully aware of God, but they know there's something out there for me to get. They don't build barns. They don't, they don't build pantries. They don't build huge sheds where they store all their food. They get up and they go and they get it. Consider the ravens. They don't store up food. They don't lose sleep at night wondering, oh, where's the next meal going to come from? Where, what's going to happen to me? Where, where, where's it going to come from? No, they sleep and they don't worry about it, but God feeds them. Jesus says, come on, you're more valuable than birds. You're more valuable than birds. Now, sometimes that flies in the face of, of some of the voices that we hear in our culture. And sometimes we get confused that we'll actually be able to go or willing to go to great lengths to save an animal, but yet we'll forget our fellow man who is hurting and is in need. Or we'll forget the, the preciousness of an unborn life, and so we'll be willing to abort it. But, but God is saying here that you are more valuable than the birds. You're more valuable than the birds. If God knows what they need and he cares for them, why do you worry? Stop being anxious. Your life is too valuable. He goes on to say, you worriers. Right there in verse, uh, verse 25. Who of you by worrying could add a single hour to your life? And the way Jesus is phrasing it there is he's calling out the worriers. You worriers out there, you who wring your hands and you sweat and you cry and you toss and turn at night, you, me, me tossing and turning at night wondering how are ends going to meet? What am I going to do for my family? How is this ever going to be done? He's speaking to me. I've been there, friends, and I'm sure you have too. Where's it all going to work out? How's it going to work out? Losing sleep. And Jesus says, you worriers, you out there who are worrying, you can't even add one single hour to your life. You can't even do that. All the turning, all the tossing, all the hand-wringing is all for naught because it will not even add one single hour to your life. And since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Jesus is telling us, you are what you seek, so stop worrying about possessions. Your life is too valuable for that. It's too valuable. Jesus wants to set us free from worry this morning. When well, he goes on to give another example, he says, consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Consider the flowers. Uh, just this week, I was walking through my neighborhood with my wife and some other friends and, 
And there's this park in my neighborhood where they actually have a rose garden. And so, you know, me being a man, I'm just, I'm on a mission to get some walking done, you know. But, oh, let's turn and look at the roses. But I'm so glad that we did. And it, it was beautiful. And it was amazing. But when you look at these roses, we wouldn't say to the roses, hey, roses, good job. I mean, you really picked a great color. Oh, these petals are just absolutely gorgeous. I love what you've done, roses, right? We don't say that because we know that there are some people that were taking care of those roses, but ultimately, even the caretakers can't make these roses bloom. It's God who has clothed the flowers of the field. Consider the flowers. Consider the wildflowers, even, Jesus says. These aren't even the ones that are under the care of, 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 of a gardener. These are the ones that just grow out in the field. No one's there to care for them. And yet God clothes them. They don't work. They don't spin. They don't go down to Nordstrom. They don't go down to Macy's. But they're dressed better than even Solomon. And why does God, why does Jesus choose Solomon here? Well, Solomon really was the, he was the king, the son of David, who ruled during the greatest era in the history of the people of Israel, by far. King Solomon was arrayed in glory and great, uh, arrayed in wealth and beauty. The city of Jerusalem was the center of the world during his reign. Kings and queens from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to see the wisdom and the wealth of Solomon. And so as Jesus is describing this, he's describing the most luxurious and most wealthy and prosperous era in the history of the Jewish people. And he says, not even Solomon can compare with the beauty of these wildflowers. And certainly you are much more valuable than flowers. Well, I, I think he also has Solomon in mind for another reason. You see, Jesus is using this kind of speech and, and rhetoric to talk about wisdom and comparisons that he's making. And, and Solomon makes a similar comparison. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon goes on to talk about how vain and how worthless it is to pursue possessions. How vain and meaningless it is to pursue a love of money. And this is how Solomon described it. He said it's like chasing after the wind. The wind blows this way and you chase after it. The wind blows that way and you chase after it. It's like a sailboat out in the water and trying to find the perfect wind current so that it could actually get moving. But you can't determine the wind. You can't set the wind. You're just trying to chase it and grasp it, but it just slips through your fingers. And Solomon says, chasing after possessions, a love of money is like chasing after the wind. It's meaningless. It's hopeless. And it's worthless. And so Jesus says, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus just got done addressing the warriors in the room the warriors in his audience, and he tells the warriors, you can't even add a single hour to your life. And now he says, he says, you of little faith. You see, worry isn't something that is to be noble or something to be looked upon as, well, hey, they just care a lot. 
No, it's a reflection of little faith. Little faith. And Jesus recognizes this and he calls it out in his audience. You are warriors and you have little faith. Little faith. Jesus says, certainly, you're more valuable than these. God knows that you need them, but it's like chasing after the wind. Friends, you are what you seek, so stop worrying. Your life is just too valuable for that. You're more valuable than the birds of the air. You're more valuable than the wildflowers of the field. You who worry, you of little faith. Well, Jesus goes on and now he says, don't just stop worrying, but stop seeking after possessions. Verse 29 through 30, Jesus says, and do not set your heart. Do not set your heart. Do not run after. Do not pursue. Do not desire these things. Don't let them be set up in your heart as something that you long for. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Why does Jesus say this? Why, why can't we? Well, here's why. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows you need them. What does he mean by the pagan world? Literally, the term there is the nations of the world. But, but oftentimes that phrase, the nations of the world, actually means pagan idolaters. This is not just talking about the peoples of the world and different, different ethnic groups. But he's talking about those who are not of the Jewish faith, who believe in the one true God at this time. Those who are outside, Gentiles, who bow down to idols. They actually bow down to idols made of wood and idols made of stone that cannot speak, that cannot see, that cannot feel, that cannot do anything for our needs. And yet God is, uh, Jesus is saying, don't be like them, those Gentiles who bow down to these worthless idols. These idols that cannot speak, that cannot talk. In fact, Paul says something similar. Those who follow Jesus cannot live like the, like the idolaters and the pagan idolaters of the world. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 to 19 says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Well, what's the futility of the thinking of, of the pagans of this world who don't worship the one true God? Listen to this. This is how they're characterized, as Paul writes. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. See, the phrase Gentiles is, is the same kind of idea that Jesus is using here and saying the pagans of the, the pagan world, they run after these things. And one thing that characterizes the pagan world, and it will not characterize you, Jesus says, is that you're not going to set your heart over the possessions of this world. You cannot be full of greed and call yourself a follower of Jesus. Don't set your heart on these things. 
Stop worrying about them. Stop seeking them. Stop desiring them because you are what you seek. If you're seeking after these things, you're showing that your God is something that cannot save you, cannot speak to you, cannot love you, and cannot ever really deliver you. You're bowing down to the gods of this world, the gods of materialism, just like the pagan the pagans of the world do. They bow down to false idols and they're full of greed. But that's not to be true of you. You are what you seek. So do not seek. Do not run after. Do not desire possessions in your heart. What, what Jesus is doing here is he's doing a little bit of housekeeping in our hearts. He's saying, if you've got worry that's filling your heart over your possessions... Stop it and get rid of it. If you've got a desire and if you're seeking possessions in your heart and you want them so badly, get rid of them. Worriers and, and greedy people are not the kind of people that are receiving the kingdom. Do not do it. Stop worrying. Stop seeking these things. And, and God, Jesus goes on to say, your father knows that you need them. He knows that you need them. He knows that the birds need food to eat. He knows that the lilies need to be clothed. He knows that the trees need to have leaves. And he knows that you need these things. But they cannot be a source of worry. And they cannot be a source of your desire. You are what you seek. So stop worrying about possessions. You are what you seek, so stop seeking and desiring possessions. Get rid of them. But that leaves a vacuum in our hearts, doesn't it? What does Jesus ask his followers to fill into their hearts? Verse 31, Jesus gives us the answer. But seek his kingdom. Instead of being worried, instead of being greedy... Instead, rather, but seek His kingdom. Get rid of the worry. Get rid of the greed. And fill it up with a heart that has a passion for seeking the kingdom of God. Now, now, I, I have to ask myself this. I, I read this and I go, seek the kingdom. What in the world is that? We don't talk about kingdom around here too often. And uh, I'm starting to get kind of convicted about that. It's actually not a part of my language very often. But if you start reading Jesus' words, if you start reading his followers, the apostles in the book of Acts, you read their words, read Paul's words, they talk about kingdom a lot. And yet I talk about kingdom so very little. And yet Jesus is here is saying, instead of worry and instead of greed, fill your heart with a desire for the kingdom. If we're going to truly do that, we've got to understand what is this kingdom that he's talking about. Let me, let me just give it to you this way. Here's how the Bible describes the kingdom of God. It is God's rule over God's people in God's place. The kingdom of God is God's rule over God's people in God's place. See, you could actually trace this all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. 
The story of humanity as it's revealed to us in the Bible. When God created the first man and the first woman, and there they were in the perfect kingdom atmosphere of God. Perfect communion with God. Perfect relationship with God. Perfect relationships with each other. There was no heartache. There was no toil, no strife, no sin. There was just God, His people, and His place in the garden. And there they were living joyfully and pleasantly and wonderfully. But then mankind rebelled and sinned against God and said, I want to set myself up as my own king. And because of that, we were stripped from God's place. We were taken out of God's kingdom. We no longer wanted to be under his rule. We wanted to rule ourselves and make for ourselves our own kingdom. And it's been causing us hell ever since. But see... God's design for you as a human, for me as a human, it doesn't matter what we look like, it doesn't matter what gender we are, God is calling all of us to his kingdom. And Jesus is saying, get rid of the worry, get rid of the greed, and instead seek first, seek the kingdom of God. Now, I think a, a big reason why we, don't, why, why we don't get this kingdom idea is that, you know, we often think of a kingdom, well, that's like, you know, the British kingdom, right? Uh, the, the kingdom in Great Britain where you've got a bunch of, you know, got kings and queens and princes and princesses and they're getting married and having babies and all this stuff. Or maybe we have some Disney movie in mind, right? A kingdom. So it's very foreign to us, especially as Americans. We love our democracy. We love our vote. We love being able to have a say in how things go. And, and, and I'm here to say I, I love the liberties that we share, but it is not the pinnacle of human government. The pinnacle of human government is being under God's rule with God's people in God's place. And God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who put on human flesh to say, I will be that divine and human king that will restore Eden to you if you would just come and put your faith and trust in me. You see, friends, I would venture to say we don't talk about kingdom very much. Sometimes I think it's because we like being more American than more, more than we like being Christian. It's time for us to appreciate the fact that God has invited us into this kingdom. And I want to be a, as great of an American citizen as I could be. But my allegiances, above all else, are loyalty to King Jesus and his kingdom. I don't want to miss God's rule. I don't want to miss being a part of God's people. And I certainly someday don't want to be isolated from his place where he will restore all the goodness of human and creative perfection and will be with him forever and ever. And sin will be eradicated and death will be defeated and will be in his presence forever and ever and ever. So now we read this text again and Jesus says, get rid of the worry, get rid of the greed, seek his kingdom, seek his kingdom. If he's willing to restore Eden for you, friends, certainly, Jesus says, these things like food and clothing will be given to you. If he's willing to give up a son so that you can enter a kingdom, don't you think that he'd make sure that there's food on the table and clothes on your back? 
So the issue isn't whether or not I need food and clothing. The issue is whether or not am I seeking my own kingdom, which creates worry and greed in me, or am I going to seek his kingdom? And all these things will be added to you. The kingdom of God. Well, there's, there's another aspect of the kingdom because sometimes we think of the kingdom as something that's really far away and it's, it's, it's in the far distant future that, you know, we could see the kingdom can't be here now. I mean, Jesus is saying, you know, seek his kingdom. And it's like, well, that's really hard to do. That's so far away from me. But, but Jesus says something interesting. In Luke chapter 17, verse 21 uh, in fact, verse 20, uh, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, listen to Jesus. Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, oh, oh, here it is, or, or, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is coming in your midst. Some translations actually say the kingdom of God is within you. And so Jesus, who is this king, comes and, and his kingdom is upside down. You know, most kings, they ought to be served and they demand to be served. But this king, he gets down and he, he washes feet. This kind of king comes and instead of having other people sacrifice for him, he sacrifices for them. This kind of king says, if you're going to be a, a ruler in this kingdom, you're going to learn that the greatest in this kingdom is one who is a servant. And in fact, the greatest in this kingdom isn't, isn't the wealthy and the mighty. It's actually a little child. It's an upside down kingdom. But he comes and he's bringing this kingdom and he says, it's actually in your midst or it's actually in you. Now, now, we don't see it fully. Someday Jesus is going to come back and he's going to reveal the fullness of his kingdom. And it will be observable. And you will be able to see it and you will be able to touch it. But friends, let's not miss the fact that the inauguration or the initiation or the beginning of that kingdom happened when Jesus came. It came, but it's not fully realized yet. And not only did it come, but Jesus said, it's within you. It's in your midst. For those of you who have come to Jesus Christ and bowed the knee in allegiance and loyalty to this king, he says, I'm actually going to put the kingdom right inside of you. So I'm not going to drive down the street and say, oh, there's the kingdom, or, or oh, there it is, or, or I look at this building, oh, this must be the kingdom. No, 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 it's the kingdom when you, followers of Jesus Christ, are sitting in the pews and we get a little taste of the kingdom of God right here, not fully realized, but inaugurated. The kingdom of God is within you. We don't think about that very often. We, we, we as Americans think to ourselves, well, I'm, I, you know, I love democracy. I love, I love, I love having a say in things, but but when we realize that even that is a broken system because the sinfulness of our hearts, the perfect government is a righteous king who reigns in glory. And we're not just waiting for a kingdom that's happening decades or, or, or centuries from now or even millennia from now. We're talking about a kingdom that's been inaugurated right here in these pews as we stand here today. The kingdom of God is in your midst. And so Jesus says, Seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you. These things will be given to you. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, this is really hard to accept. You're telling me to let go 
of things that I can see, my possessions, things that I can feel. I can go onto my bank account and I can see how much money's there. I can go to my retirement account and see how much I'm saving. I can get in this really nice air-conditioned car and drive home or I can you know, have this really great meal and you're telling me to not worry about these things and not to be greedy for these things that I can see and feel and you're telling me to seek something that I can't see. You're telling me to go after something and someone that I've never seen but I can read about and know. That's hard. That's hard. And, and Jesus' message is going to get even more difficult. But, but listen to the tenderness of Jesus. Listen to his nurturing voice. Maybe even we would say he would have said it kind of like a mother would say as we celebrate Mother's Day. Listen, listen to what he says. Verse 32 of Luke 12. Do not be afraid, little flock. Do not be afraid, little flock. Be comforted. The words I'm telling you today should remove the fear from your hearts. Do not be afraid, little flock. Here's why. For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Your Father has been pleased. He's delighted in. He's enjoyed. He's excited about he delights in giving you a place in his kingdom. And not just a place, but he says he's giving it to you. You can actually take comfort in knowing that I'm letting go of my possessions. I'm not worrying about them anymore. And I'm not going to be greedy. I'm not going to desire them anymore. But that might make us a little anxious, right? I'm letting go of things that I can't see. Don't be afraid because the Father is pleased. He's delighted to give you the kingdom. What Jesus is saying here, friends, is for those that call themselves Jesus followers and have bowed in allegiance to Jesus and received him as their savior, we are actually co-heirs with Jesus of this kingdom. Did you hear me? We are actually co-heirs of God's rule in God's place over his people. That's what Jesus said. He's pleased to give it to you. And just when you think, well, man, I, this kingdom sounds awesome. I, I ought to start working really hard for it. Like, what do I need to do? Just tell me how much money I need to pay or tell me how, much, uh, how many good things I should be doing or tell me how much I need to stop cussing or maybe I don't know what I need to do. Tell me what I need to do. What do I need to do so that I can earn this kingdom? But, but Jesus says, no, 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 no. He, he, he's not asking you to pry it out of his hands. The Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Little flock little flock. Why are we worrying? Why are we staying up late at night and our hearts are churning over things that, that we can't hang on to when the Father is pleased to say, here, I'm, I'm giving you the kingdom. Little flock, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Oh, I, I, lo I love this text up to this point. I really do. Um, I love the fact that I can actually be set free from worry. I love the fact that I can be set free from a greedy heart. And boy, do I love knowing that I could seek a kingdom that the Father wants to give me. 
But here's why I think Jesus is being tender, and I think why Jesus' being is so nurturing. Because if you take your eyes and look down at the text, look at what he says next in Luke 12, 33. I'll say 32 again. Do not be afraid, little flock, for the Father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. Now Jesus gets into the response. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Ouch. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Jesus, I, I've been following you up to this point. I, I would be happy to hand you my worry. I would be happy for you to, to get rid of this greed that I have in my heart. And you know what? You just told me you want to give me a kingdom. And that sounds awesome. High five. Yeah, let's do it. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Jesus, are, I mean, come on. You, you've got to be exaggerating, right? You, you can't be serious. I mean, he's using one of those techniques again where he's just exaggerating to make a point. We do that, right? Man, I've been waiting for you all day. And it's been like 15 minutes, right? We do that often to make a point. So Jesus has got to be exaggerating. He's got to be meaning like, well, like give, you know, 5%, 10% or something like that. Just, you know, give a little bit just to make a point. Is that, is that what he's saying? Jesus, you can't, it's, it's got to be hyperbole, right? You're just, you're just exaggerating to make a point because I don't know if I like this part. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Well, if you would, look, look over. Let's just take a moment to ask ourselves, what is Jesus saying? Is he really saying what we think he's saying? Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 30. Jesus encounters a, a certain ruler. A certain ruler, and uh, verse 18 of Luke 18 says, A certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so that eternal life is really the kingdom. What must I do to be an heir with you of the kingdom? Uh, Jesus responds, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And, you know, and so on and so on, as Jesus, I'm sure, is kind of implying here. And, and, this, and this ruler, he goes, man, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Not just started last week. Like, I've kept these since I was a lad, since I was a boy. Like, I'm feeling pretty good about this. i got to be close, right? But Jesus, when he heard this, he said to him, you, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. See, this, this ruler, he liked everything up to this point. This sounds great. Man, I've been doing this since I was a boy. Piece of cake. Just keep doing what I've been doing. But, but see, there was an idol in this man's heart. There was something that was inside his heart that Jesus had to expose. And he calls him, get rid of it and seek first the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. And here's what the kingdom looks like. Sell your possessions and give it to the poor. Don't be trying to set up your own kingdom. Don't be trying to do that. Instead, seek, seek a different kingdom. And, and look at the response here. 
Verse 23 of Luke 18. But when this, this ruler, when he heard this, he became very sad. He became very sad. Not because he didn't think he could live up to the laws, but because he was very wealthy. He was very wealthy. All this man could see, you're asking me to give it all up so that I get into the kingdom. But as much as I think that kingdom is awesome, I think my kingdom is more awesome. And I don't know if I can do what you're asking me to do, Jesus. I'm going to walk away. And he walked away very sad because he knew he couldn't have his cake and eat it too. He knew that receiving the kingdom that Jesus was offering meant that he actually had to destroy the idols that he saw were so precious in his heart. Jesus then looks at him. He looks at him. Not just talks to everybody. He looks at him and he says, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, well, who then could be saved if the wealthy can't get in and the powerful can't get in? Who can get in? And Jesus says, uh, uh, with what is impossible with man is possible with God. And now Peter speaks up. Peter speaks up and says, we've left all we had to follow you. No exaggeration. No hyperbole. Peter is just saying, we saw it. This guy, this guy couldn't do it. He had too much. He was wealthy. But Lord, we've given up everything. Was it worth it, Jesus? I, that's what Peter's asking. Was it worth it? Did, did I make a bad choice? Should I go with this guy instead and go back and get my wealth back? And Jesus tru- says, truly, I tell you, no one who's left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus is, he's saying, this is an exaggeration. This isn't hyperbole. I mean what I say. Until you deal with the idols of the heart, you will miss this kingdom. You will miss this kingdom. And Peter, you may feel like you lost it all. And it's hard and it's difficult, but I'm telling you, it's worth it, Peter. It's worth it. It's worth it. But this man blew it. This man walked away. This man was not willing to repent of the idols of his heart. But there's another man that comes one chapter later. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Hey, the Zacchaeus, he wanted to see the king. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to, to, uh, to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Here comes the king, man. I got to see this guy. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, listen, listen to this. Look, Lord, here and now 
I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now Zacchaeus was not earning his way into heaven, but what he was telling the Lord, Lord, I feel like I'm on the doorstep of the kingdom, and I've tried to build up my kingdom all my life. In fact, I've done everything I can. I've worried about it, and I've been greedy to the point that I've even stole it from my fellow man. But I'm telling you, I want to lay down these idols of the heart because I came to see you. I came to see the king, and would you let me into your kingdom? What did Jesus say to him? Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus, Jesus is confronting two different people and he's not beating around the bush. He's not just giving hyperbole. He's actually saying, you must be willing to let go of your possessions if you're going to call yourself someone who is an heir of the kingdom. Because what you can't do is say, well, I like God's kingdom, but I like my kingdom too. There is no both and. It's either or. What will you give up to receive the kingdom? And is it worth it? That's what Jesus is asking. And he's not asking with just some rhetorical device, some hyperbole, some exaggeration. He means what he says. Friends, if we're not willing to let go of the possessions, the things that are just like chasing after the wind, the things that keep us tossing and turning at night, the things that fill our hearts with greed, if we're not willing to leave them at the door of the kingdom, we cannot come into the kingdom of God. But oh, my friends, you'll be missing God's rule over God's people and God's place. Jesus goes on to describe what we would be investing in by willing to let go of these possessions and invest in the future. He goes on to say back in Luke chapter 12 now, 12, 33 and 34, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses or, or money bags for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Friends, when you invest in the kingdom of God, when you're willing to leave the idols of our hearts, there is no need to worry. There is no need to feel greedy. It's never going to run out. You never have to earn more. It's there and it's saved for you. And in fact, it's right here in our midst, the kingdom of God that Jesus is growing. You could be a part of that by helping others receive this kingdom and hear about this kingdom. Maybe it's giving a hot meal to someone who is at their last leg and needs to receive a hot meal so that they could hear about the kingdom. Maybe it's someone who's walking around in the wintertime and they don't have something warm and you put something around them and they feel the warmth of Jesus and you can invite them into the kingdom. Maybe it's sending 55 kids to summer camp so that they could hear about the kingdom of God and say, come enter God's rule over God's people in his place through the blood of Jesus Christ. These are money bags that never wear out. These are the kinds of riches that thieves could never ever touch that moths can never, ever eat away. This is an eternal treasure. This is the kingdom of God. And so I would say to you, Jesus is using no exaggeration. He's using no hyperbole that says, 
Get what you need. The Father will provide for it. But if you don't need it, hold on to it very loosely. What would God want you to give up today to say, I want to invest in the kingdom? I don't have time to read it. You can look at it for yourselves. But in, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37, the believers, those, this little kingdom community called the church, they started doing some crazy stuff. They saw the beauty of this Jesus whom they had crucified, and now they repented, and they were following and bowing a knee in allegiance to this king, and they started doing something amazing. They took their investment properties and they sold them and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet so that it could be distributed to those who had need. That is crazy. But this is the kind of lifestyle that the king calls for those who want to enter into his kingdom. Ridding ourselves of the idols of the heart and laying up treasures in heaven. And he concludes by saying in verse 34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, if our treasure in this world is in this world, we're going to keep tossing and turning. We're going to keep being filled with worry. Jesus says, stop being anxious. If our treasure in this world is in this world, we're going to keep seeking and chasing after it and running after the wind. Jesus says, stop seeking the things of this world, but seek the kingdom of God. Little flock, little flock, if this is worrying you today, Jesus is saying, little flock, the Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. I close with a story that Charles Spurgeon shared as he was uh, teaching this text and preaching it. He says this, I remember hearing of a crossing sweeper. Now, I had to look up what a crossing sweeper was. Crossing sweeper in the 19th century in London was someone who helped clean up a place for you to cross the street. Now, that sounds really kind of silly to you, right? But back in these days, you had a lot of dirt and a lot of mud and a lot of horse stuff in the road, right? And so it was, a fil it was filthy. The roads were filthy because of just the nature of what the roads looked like. And so these cross sweepers uh, would be someone, crossing sweepers, they were people who, uh, who were kind of at their last leg. They, they, they had no money, they had no jobs, and so at the very least what they could do is hopefully find somebody who's dressed in nice clothing and they would sweep away the road to provide a clean path for them so that especially like ladies in beautiful dresses and stuff, they wouldn't have to get themselves in their beautiful shoes filthy as they cross the street. And so Spurgeon says this, I, I remember hearing of a crossing sweeper who was pursuing his humble vocation with great diligence. He had a valuable broom which he would not have lost or spoiled without much grief. It was his source of living. To him, the few pence that purchased it were of great importance. But someone, a solicitor of the town, tapped him on the shoulder and said, my good friend, is, is your name so-and-so? And, and this man said, well, yes. And, and, and did your father live in such and such a place? And the man said, well, yes. And then he went on to this man, the solicitor said, does your brother live in, in, in such and such a place? And the man said, well, yeah, he does. He says, then I have the pleasure to tell you that you've come into an estate worth 10,000 pounds a year. Equivalent for us would be millions upon millions of dollars annually. You are the, you are the inheritor of this estate. Spurgeon goes on to say, I've been told that he walked away without his broom and I can hardly doubt it. 
For I do not think that I should have shouldered the broom myself if I had been in his position. Oh, Christian. Jesus would say it this way. Oh, little flock. Let me pluck you by the sleeve and tell you of princely possessions for which you may well turn aside from your present paltry pickings. They are not worthy to be compared. Jesus Christ informs you that your Father has given you a kingdom which is infinitely more than all the gold of this world. You may well say, let those who will fret about these earthly things, I, I will not. I have a kingdom in reversion. It's almost as if Zacchaeus is saying, I'm willing to let it go because I've met the king and he's allowed me to enter his kingdom. Thus doth Christ put to sleep one of his people's fears. Friends, little flock, Jesus would say, God wants to set you free from worry, from greed. He is pleased, the Father is pleased to give you a kingdom. Sell your possessions, hold on to it loosely, and invest in a treasure that will never fade away. Will you be willing to give up the broom that this world has to offer so that you can receive the inheritance of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your, your son called us a little flock. Today, I, I feel that these words are hard to hear, but I hear the nurturing and loving voice of our Savior call us his little flock. Your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Father, please forgive us that we don't talk about the kingdom enough. We don't think about it enough. We don't study it enough. We don't uh, work on its behalf enough. Father, help us to see that you are pleased to give us this kingdom and that it's worth more than anything else this world has to offer. Father, I for one and I pray that there are brothers and sisters, fellow heirs of the kingdom today that would say, Lord Jesus, we happily trade in our brooms for a kingdom that will never fade away. Help us as you grow our hearts to be more generous, to be holding on loosely to the things of this world. And for those today, Father, that are enslaved to worry and enslaved to greed, oh, I pray that you'd set them free, that they wouldn't be like the ruler who walked away sad, but their hearts would be full of joy as they realize that they can leave the idols of their heart at the door and they can enter the kingdom of God. Father, help us to be a people who live for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We lay our brooms at your feet. We want to enter your kingdom. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.